0: So my very first seat at Atlas was on the floor right by the door. And we didn't have a receptionist desk, but I sat right in the corner. And so I called. we called the receptionist or whatever. And my best friend was the mailman and the UPS guy. And I'm not making that up. I still talk to the mailman. We're friends on Facebook, even though he's retired now. And I would still go if he called me today and I'd go have a beer with him because we really, really got along. So when you walk into the doors at Atlas now, I'm still the receptionist. I sit at a receptionist desk. And it's right out on the floor. And just to my right is Steve. And just to the left of Steve is Steve Seitner and Keanu Williams, who runs our compliance is just to the left of him. Like we're all up front. We're leading by example. So, and that's good, bad, or otherwise, right? You're going to see when we screw up, you're going to see when, you know, we, we make poor decisions or bad decisions, or we don't take all the information and, you know, we make, you make that snap decision and it's not right. So, Leading by example like that and just showing vulnerability is super important for us. And that's how we got, and that's how we're getting to where we want to get.
1: What is happening, Rob? How are you?
2: Lauren. I am in a magical city called Kirkwall on the island of Orkney in the sub-country, I guess, that is Scotland, of the great nation of the United Kingdom. Uh, and it is 4.55 Greenwich Median time, and it is pitch black. Or it was 4 o'clock and it turned pitch black. So I'm feeling quite Harry Potter-like. How are you, Lauren? Harry Potter-like. I, have I am not- at Kylo headquarters, which is...
1: I have Yes, I have not ventured across the pond, believe it or not. Scotland is one of the places that I would love to go visit. And you're staying in a building from, did you say
2: 1804? Yeah, either the 1800s, like literally 1801 to 1810 or 1811 to 1820. I think it's 1804,
1: but I only heard it once. So fascinating. So fascinating. I am very jelly. I'm a little jelly. I'm a little peanut butter and jelly.
2: I've been here for 14 days. I'm ready to come home and see my wife and my puppy.
1: Which I think is adorable.
2: Yes, I do like my home. It's uh, I tweeted about it today. So if you saw my tweet, it's because I had like a, a mini, not nervous breakdown, but I just had like I'm over it moment last night. So anyway, uh, that's not what we're here for. We're here, well, we kind of are. We're kind of here for emotional intelligence. So. We
1: are. We are, and empathy matters. And we're going to talk about that with our guest today, and I'm really excited about it because first, first and foremost, listeners we heard you. We want to talk about what you want to hear about. And this was direct input from you, our listeners, a segment or episode we had done, you know, had some different facets, not just technology, not just staffing, but more leadership, leadership development, and successful, what successful leadership looks like. It was a really popular episode and people were like, more, 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 more. So we listen to you. If you want to hear about something, make your voice heard.
2: Reach out to Lauren and I on any social channel and tell us topics and we will do our best to get that person on or or get that topic covered by an expert that we know or that we can, by the way, having a podcast is a great way to get someone on a call that you have no idea who they are and no reason to talk to them besides for the fact you're like, Hey, my guests want to talk about X. You're the, I found out you're the expert. Do you want, can you jump on a call for 15 minutes? And they tend to. So if you tell us, we'll get it.
1: If you're passionate about a topic, Tell us. We'll bring you on. Yeah. Uh, we we'll give you give you a stage to talk about that uh, that topic. You know, obviously relevant to what it is that you know we do. But uh, if you're passionate about a topic, we want to talk about it because this podcast is about you, our listeners, and so we are honoring your input and request to talk about more leadership topics. Say that ten times fast. I, I will not. Thanks. <laughs>
2: So what we're, who we're going to interview today is a pretty great empathetic leader who is the CMO and co-founder of Atlas Medstaff, who's Rich Smith. And the topic is going to be leading with empathy. And so the conversation is pretty fascinating. and really what the idea is to like help any leader, old, new, right, a male, female, whatever it is, just be just understand how leading with empathy and, and a strong uh, emotional intelligence can benefit you. But, you know, because you are responsible for the success of your organization, really your organization.
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, we know a bad example of that would be the Better.com CEO who fired 900 people via Zoom? Zoom. Oh, my God. Good Lord have mercy. Well, talk he about
2: has- a terrible experience. Good Lord. Oh, my
1: gosh. Well, and that leads us to, you know, the way that work works is changing and experience matters. And we as an industry have often thought of others before ourselves. And I, and I think it's just the nature of what we do. You know, we want to make sure our customers, our candidates are taken care Of, but we have to remember that our internal people require an experience as well, and a good one at that. And so, empathy is a core component of that. And the way that we communicate matters, the way that we treat people matters, flexibility matters. All of these things are important to people. And this great resignation that you and I are calling the great migration is because people have changed their priorities and the way that they feel right? The way that they feel about where they work really makes a difference. And I loved Rich's insights on this, making it through COVID, you know, this whole remote thing wasn't easy. And so we went through that. And then he's got such a fascinating origin story. So I'm just really excited to share this conversation with the rest of the world, because I think it's greatly needed right now.
2: A couple of things that always come up for me, right, with this conversation is how he. He, you know, he actually sells the dream, I think, internally, like I think Atlas actually sells the dream internally, yeah. which is something that you taught me, you know, in the beginning of this whole podcast journey that I had uh, about internal marketing. And if you're going to care about your, like and there's a couple of things here, like number one, if you want to test marketing language, market it internally, see what your team thinks about it. It's a great <laughs> way to test something. If you want to know how to treat people, practice it on your people. See if how they feel about it, see if that motivates them to be loyal to you and what that does for your work product from that person or from that group of people that you do it with. And then it'll probably translate with a little bit tweaking to your external workforce as well, right? Like, and it'll it'll benefit downstream the internal at the external workforce, right? Because if your internal team is super happy and engaged and loving what they're doing they're probably going to provide a better experience for your external. So if you have not invested in your internal team to date and you have no idea what that means, please reach out to us. We'll teach you about internal marketing. It's just like email marketing campaigns. We'll teach you how to deliver new technology. Like we're happy to, it's, it's a quick conversation for us because we love it.
1: We'll teach you yeah. how to have a town hall. Um, oh God. You know, I love a good town hall. Right. And, yeah. and Those are such meaningful conversations because it creates inclusivity and inclusivity is such, it's such a a core feeling of belonging and belonging is what people want in where they work, whether it is remote or in person, creating community and belonging is going to be the stickiness that will matter.
2: So anyway, let's get to this awesome interview. So guys coming up after the break, we're going to be interviewing the CMO and co-founder of Atlas Medstaff, Rich Smith, which they've been the, the SIA's fastest-growing staffing firm or on the fastest-growing staffing firm list, top five, I think for the last three or four years. So they know a little bit of thing about growth and, and rapid expansion. This episode is brought to you by Abel and our good friend over on the other side of the pond from me, actually like eight hours away, Leap Consulting Solutions. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, right. And Lauren, thank you. I'll see you on the other side.
1: See you on the other side. This episode is brought to you by Leap Consulting Solutions. Our firm focuses on three areas of opportunity as it pertains to technology in our industry. First is expeditious acquisition of technology, helping you make quick decisions and good investments for the betterment of your organization. The second is business process change management, and adoption, and then finally, evangelization of your new differentiators of your digital transformation. Call Leap Consulting Solutions today. This episode is
3: brought to you by ABLE, the onboarding automation platform built solely for staffing firms, so you can hire up to 90% faster at half the cost. And guess what? ABLE is now integrated with Aviante Bold. This native integration brings Able's robust onboarding features and functionality directly into the BOLD interface, including remote I-9 and E-Verify integrations, credentialing, integrated screening vendors, automated workflows, task reminders, and simple form management, all to help eliminate time-consuming manual tasks that slow productivity and deliver hard hits to your time-to-hire metrics. Plus, with Able's candidate self-service feature, your team can spend less time walking candidates through the process as they can now request and automatically receive admin-approved documents when they need to update information. With this integration, you are able to remain in one system throughout the entire process to maintain one system of record. Aviante Bold. ABLE is delivering real-time candidate data with state and federal tax information, keeping candidate records accurate and up-to-date. Be the first to go live with this new integration. Visit ableteams.com slash aviante to learn more.
1: What is happening, Rob?
2: Well, Lauren, it is the week of Gobble Gobble Day, as I like to call Thanksgiving. Gobble Gobble Day, okay. I like to be as much of an onomatopoeia, I guess that doesn't really count, uh, as possible. And yeah, I'm pretty fired up. Got my parents in town. Okay. My wife's supposed to take off tomorrow, but of course her boss wants her to cover a 8.30 hearing. She's supposed to prep the turkey and all the other good tomorrow, but uh, now we're going to court. So yeah, I'm good. How are you? (laughs)
1: I'm amazing. I am getting ready. We go to my brother's for Thanksgiving and I host Christmas. So we we swap the holidays because I like to cook and I like to entertain as does my sister-in-law. So she does Thanksgiving. I do Christmas. So I just get to bring some yummy sides. By the way, I do make the best homemade macaroni this side of the Mississippi. So just saying.
2: Well, right. Well, well, with us today, we have a great, guest, co-founder and CMO of Atlas Medstaff out of Omaha, Nebraska, Mr. Rich Smith. Rich, how you doing?
0: Good. How are you? Rich, we're, you're doing Thanksgiving in? In Essence Park, Colorado. I have a lot of family in Colorado, so we are up here celebrating this year.
2: That is amazing. Uh, I'm a little jealous. That is amazing.
0: I make a pretty good uh, stuffing, too, so I'm just saying, I okay. mean, maybe. Oh, we can uh, all, all right.
2: we should all go I, to Omaha because it is the center of, you know, between us, uh, Lori. Right. And we can do a cook-off.
1: Yes, let's do a cook-off. Because my mac and cheese, is something to be had,
2: so. Can we do do a, you know what we should do, guys, is we should get all the travel nursing groups out of Omaha and do a fundraiser for some charity and do a cook-off. And like, we can get the staffing industry that serves like all the nurse travel nurse groups to come in and do it. I love it. We've
0: actually talked about that. Oh yeah, we've talked about that. In fact, there was a time last, well, pre-COVID days, we we competed against each other with the American Heart Association. American Heart. It was to blood drive. Which who t- takes your blood? Who does that? Red Cross. It was. It is the Red Cross. Yeah. So we would we competed. They the bloodmobile went to each of our different offices, and whoever gave the most blood won the blood trophy. And sadly, there was no blood trophy ever. It was just we talked about it.
1: It sounds like the Vampire Diaries. There's I a
2: love
0: lot going to- on that.
2: Like, <laughs> <laughs> we, on Black. we can we can do a whole episode on the blood trophy. Guys, we got we have Rich here. We're super excited to talk about this topic, which is really going to focus on leading with empathy. But before that, Rich, why don't you give a two minute elevator pitch about your background and your, an Atlas's background, really, or what Atlas does?
0: Sure. Atlas is approaching its ten year anniversary on February of twenty two. It'll be ten years for us. I started Atlas February of twenty twelve. Before that, I was i had been in the industry for eight years, so I'm going on 18 years now in the travel nurse staffing industry. Started off just on the contract side, just working with hospitals, taking profiles from recruiters and sending them to hospitals, and working on you know, the placement process. But now, now we're doing Atlas, right? Now we we started, like I said, 10 years ago, and it, it's been a wild ride, and we've had a lot of fun doing it.
1: I love your story because what I find fascinating every time I go to a conference is. Their origin story. You know, there's so people come and this is, I think, why I stick around. I've been here for 24 years is we have such an eclectic group of people that come from all walks of life that were influenced in some way, shape or form by a story, an event that influenced them to come you know, here, mine was my Southern Meemaw, right? And everyone has this really cool story. So how did you navigate your way here into staffing?
0: You know, it's interesting. I I guess I've never met somebody in our industry that said, you know, when I wanted to grow up, I wanted to own a travel net yes. staffing company.
1: I want to be a recruiter.
0: Right. Here's how mine started. My oldest daughter now is 22 years old. She has almost one year old. He's He's eight months old. So that makes me a grandpa. And when she, Riley, my oldest daughter, was three months old, she got influenza A, and I had to take her to the e r at children's in Omaha, nebraska and I was a new dad absolutely had no idea what to do. like I had no business being a dad. I was super young and uh so I took her there and the nurse that helped us was a travel nurse. as we started talking to each other, I realized she's not from Omaha like this isn't her permanent job, and she kind of talked walked me through how she got there, why she was there. And then at the end, when we were getting ready to leave, she was like, OK, well, I probably will never see you again. I'm going back to my contract ends in two weeks. I'm going back to Seattle. It sticks in my head, Seattle, for whatever reason. I'm going back to Seattle and I'm going to stay home for a little bit. And I'm going to take another contract. Fast forward a few years. I met the guy who eventually started Medical Solutions. I worked under him at Ameritrade and he had called me up one day and said, hey, we're doing this. We're starting this company called Medical Solutions. We're going to uh, we're going to staff travel nurses. I was super happy in Ameritrade. I really enjoyed what I was doing there. I had a ton of friends that I worked with there, and I I didn't think I was going to leave. And that all of a sudden, that story came back, and I thought, "This is meaningful. Like, there's something to this." So I yeah. said yes, and and there you go, and the rest is history.
1: I love these stories. I love how staffing inadvertently influences people, and we feel a calling to come and do more. And and you know, look. We get paid you know it's not philanthropy but i have always felt my husband has always said that i envy what you do because at the end of the day you do help people support their families you help them put food Mm -hmm. on their tables you help them find a place and i do think that's what keeps me here you know through the good and the bad right
2: you get nurses to try out new places learn new cultures and eventually when they want to settle or if they want to settle if they're young travelers Mm -hmm. They can yep. know what they yep. like and what they don't like, and you help older nurses right. get to travel if they're towards the end of their career and enjoy, you know, maybe going someplace for thirteen weeks, flying their their kids and their grandkids in, and hanging out with them, right, and doing an Atlas adventure or, or whatever. You know, I didn't know when I started Locum, Someone, you know, someone told me they're like, oh yeah, you know, most doctors that work in a hospital, especially in ER or like on the floor, probably don't live there. And I was like, what do what do you, what do you what? mean? And then, what like, you, then yeah. you, like, learn what the whole industry and, like, you learn, like, the ER is contracted out to a company because it's liability. So the hospital doesn't actually have to pay for all that crap. It's better for them from a business perspective. Yep. The hospitalists, the med-search hospitalists, right, they're not, they probably work for the same companies' as the ER and a lot of big hospital systems, especially HCA.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It's just so fascinating, the business of things and how they all work, so.
1: Well, and I think with travel med, uh, we'll call it because, you know, my sister-in-law, we, she moved from Florida to California. And when you're in between jobs picking up, you know, she got premium pay. You've got to get additional certifications and skills. I mean, there's such an advantage to, to being able to be that flexible. And it can bridge the gap when you are potentially looking for something more long term. I just think it's a, well, I'm in i think it's a, a very cool thing
2: that you're doing and I, I love it so rich when we you know we were talking in the pre-call we we're you know we always kind of talk about some piece of staffing a lot of times it ends up being technology and how to implement technology but to implement technology you also have to drive culture i feel like and have a culture around it and so with with you like i think the best thing you said in the pre-call was i think the like the travel nurse that i met with my daughter was taking better care of me and distracting me and talking to me because i was a wreck and I think that taught you, you know, you were talking about how it taught you empathy. So right. I'm sure when you were a recruiter, you had a, a massive amount of empathy for them. And you used that, that story was probably really helped you connect with the travel nurses early. How has it impacted you as a leader, though, as, as you come to talk with other recruiters and, you know, as we're transitioning into basically the wild west of a business, right? With, you know, I'm not going to use the word unprecedented, but it's 100 years since something like this happened.
0: Oh, I think "unprecedented" is a fine word. I think "unsustainable" is a good word too. I, I in a lot of ways, I don't think things uh, things are ever going to. It's not going to stay the same. But that's a whole nother conversation. I think here's the here's the thing: a leopard doesn't change its spots, right? Are you right? So, I mean, you always take that with you. take that story with you, and I'll never I'll never forget that story. And so early on in my career, I really thought about as I was going through. I'd get those profiles from our recruiters. And think, okay, I'm going to place this nurse in Kansas City or St. Louis or Hayes, Kansas, because I work mostly in the Midwest. Like, what's the best fit for this nurse? Like, what's going to give her the absolute best possible experience? Billing's billing, right? I mean, it's just we're not we're not making a widget in a factory. These these people, there's somebody at the end of this that has feelings that their career is on the line. Quite honestly, they're trusting us with their professional license. So, where does that person fit best? And that has just carried over to now what we're doing at Atlas when we're doing it for 1500 plus on a weekly basis and that many more each month. So it's scalable. It doesn't matter how big you get. You can still have that. You can still inside. You can still have the, the those, those same sort of feelings. You just pass it on to the recruiters that work with us, that, that work in our office every day.
1: I'm a bit of an empath and was an em- empath as a leader, right? And that comes with its own set of, and I've, I've talked about the bleeding heart syndrome, right? When you're early on in your career and you want it more than people want it and you you know, kind of have this doe-eyed look at everybody that you, you hire. And so people will test your belief and oh, your yeah. faith and and all of that good stuff. And so how do you, when you still have that spark in your belly and you know, what's driving you, how do you create a culture where that becomes meaningful to somebody else?
0: Yeah. Honestly, it starts at the interview process as you're working through those interviews with those potential recruiters. And then it works all the way through. It works with the the person that does the training for us. He's, his name is Aaron Biddle. He's been with us for years. He was a fantastic recruiter before this. So you identify those people, you give them the tools that they need in order to succeed, and then you get the hell out of their way and you let them carry that spark. And so you have enough of them, right? Eventually it's, it glows. That's, that's such a dorky way to explain it, but no. I mean, it's it just, is, it's so bright that you can't, right? You just can't ignore it.
1: Yes. I mean, what you're saying is that you do have to trust people and that's really hard, particularly w- when you have business owners or emotionally invested, personally invested in their own stories and, you know, potentially handing that over to somebody else can be exceedingly daunting and right. you want to, you want to control everything, but at mm-hmm. some point you do. And what I've found is that the most loyal people are the ones that you just let fall on their face. Let them dust themselves off. And you're right there saying, Hey, look, it's all right.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah. You're going to fail and that's okay. But I would rather you try. I'd rather you try first because that's the only way you're going to succeed. And we've, we found early that It doesn't always work, right? We've been burned, but you have to be able, like you said, get up, dust dust yourself off and just keep going because there are good people out there. There are good recruiters out there. There are great travel nurses out there. It's one or two bad along the way cannot upset the out card
1: Agreed. So with that, now we have our entire businesses disrupted with, you know, stay at home and you know, this or that. And what I have found is that business owners are particularly those that have this beautiful sort of emotional origin story are struggling in maintaining that, you know, when they're bringing new people on or even keeping people that have been there forever. We have the great resignation, all of this chaos going Mm -hmm. on around us. How are you keeping those valuable people?
0: And that's a great question. That came up at SIA in Boston a few weeks ago when we were Mm -hmm. there, you know, talking about that because you could have the absolute best culture in the world. What happened in March of 2020 when we all went home absolutely disrupted everything and rebuilding from that and making sure that our remote staff, feels connected still or you know that those types of things we worked through it and i'll be honest there's been some times where we get fallen on our face here too like we've really tried and it hasn't worked we were always set up to have a remote staff anyway but we kind of lived in that omaha office and we lived off of that culture and that culture fed out and when all of that went down it was tough it was really really tough we go back to the basics, though. And you can see, like, I, I can't, I don't think I can wear any more gear, right? I can't have any more. <laughs> I, I love
1: Atlas. it. Where you belong. if for Where for those you yeah, belong. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No one can see you, Rich. So. No one no can Rich, see you. He's got a
1: question on this. says, where you belong, which and I he, love.
0: And he has a coffee mug with the same saying on it. There you go. Sorry. I didn't know if we were video or not here. So, but yeah, it, it's, we go back to the basics. So our director of experience six, six years ago, seven years ago, came up with this, where you belong. And it was, it started off for just our travelers and it spread to the rest of the company. And it really is who we are and what we do every day. Like anybody can have a job. You belong with us here. Like if you're here, there's a reason why you're here with us, not only the travelers, but our internal staff too.
1: And this is why you have the tenure that you have, because A, you're very self-aware, right? You understand. And I think being able to tell employees, we're struggling through this too. We need to hear from you, right? That type of authenticity is what people are looking for. But you said two words that I think are the foundation of all of it, belonging and connectedness. People felt completely and totally disconnected from other people, and you are trying to Find the glue, whether it's remote, whether it's in an office. And I think that the people that figure out that special sauce of connectivity are gonna be successful like your organization is.
0: Right. And to be honest, it, I mean, you alluded to it a little bit, technology will have a piece in that. You never really connected technology and culture together. But if you can utilize technology to kind of drive that culture piece, I know the two don't seem, they they seem congruent, right? Incongruent. If you can connect those two together, which we've been working on, there could be some of the secret sauce there for sure.
1: We were talking about this at TechServe last week and and in the panel, I said, I think the technologies that are creating communities, like really Mm -hmm. authentic communities where people can communicate you know, got WorkLama does a pretty good job of, of creating these communities job case on the hourly side is creating communities where they can interact they can talk with one another they can gripe you know and there's almost like a safe place to do that i think that we're gonna to need to have a combination of these like safe spaces, right? Private spaces, I should and where people can come and collaborate and talk. And and I think that's why teams and Zoom and all of that was so meaningful because all of a sudden we have this mm-hmm. connectedness. It's private. Right. We can talk with one another, we can connect. So I think organizations that enabled their people to have that connectedness were able to. I don't know, adjust more quickly than others, but I think community is going to be the next buzzword that we're hearing all about and apps that are creating communities and those types of things, because Mm -hmm. I think this remote work, hybrid work, it's not going away. No. And we have to find a way to adjust and adapt.
2: So funny enough, we did, I did my first LinkedIn live with three community building experts. One of them recommended this book, the Business of Belonging by David Spinks. I'm holding it up to, for Rich and Lauren to take a look at. Please out like an acronym about how to... I haven't read it yet. I don't remember what she said. The spaces model. So there's it's S-P-A-C-E-S and they all have a meaning and you basically use that to help guide guide the conversation. So uh, I, I agree with you, Lauren. I think community is going to be that. And so what I did want to say, Rich, to your point is like, I don't think technology and and culture are so incongruent. I think that they... There's a couple of reasons why they, in my mind, why they are really, really great tools. Number one, like Lauren said, space is like Slack and Team and, and Circle's a great platform. There's Discord channels. There is any number of ways to do it. You know, there's a, an app called Upstream, which is based in New York, but the founder and everyone's down in Miami. So I'm actually really good friends. So if you want to check out Upstream, I'm on there. You can host office hours, talk to other like people in your space, et cetera, build your own community on there. But I think the way the community has to work is that, you know, internally for a slacker, a team, you're going to drive culture by celebrating stuff you like in a conversation, highlighting people that you like having those conversations. You got to you got to reward people for things that they do well. So I think it it kind of gives you an amplifier or a tool to kind of like make it really clear what's going to work. I think from a culture perspective, if you have a culture of learning and you're not training people on your technology consistently, well, you know, you're not doing what it says on the tin, and we don't like that uh, here here at the You and the Experience podcast. So, so we like when people do what they say on the tin. And if you have a learning culture, you can drive learning through technology. You can learn. You can drive it through having a book club on your on your Slack or Teams channel. So, I really think that technology is is really because you have to, if you're on like we're all on technology, so you have to figure out how to use technology to drive culture. And well, I think technology
1: I, is the enabler. Right, yeah. and and and, and yeah. it, it's the enabler, it's the magnifier, it's 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 the accelerator, and I think that it comes with great responsibility, and I think that it comes with clarity and transparency, and I think that's what you've done really well is you know when we are we are creating these environments and communities, it's with the hopes that we can create the transparency of where we're going, where we're driving, what's important, you know, how we incentivize people. I would love for you to shed a little light on how you, how you retained people throughout the process, how you incentivize and create this culture, this sticky culture that you've got going on.
0: Yep. Honestly, we didn't change outside of the work from home environment. We didn't really change a thing. We acknowledged that, Hey, this was a unique time. And instead of meeting here in the office, we're going to just meet here on Zoom or whatever. But there are things along the way that we decided we're not going to do. We're not going to, to give in to some of these these maybe norms in another office. We believe in who we are. We believe in how we operate. One of the unwritten rules that we have is now, especially, because there was a skeleton crew of us that still came into the office. We have 20,000 square feet. So there was a skeleton crew that would still come in. There's an unwritten rule that says you're not coming into the office just to sit on a Zoom call. You can do that at home, right? It doesn't do you any good to come into the office, put your headphones on and sit on a Zoom call and then pack up your stuff and go home. Like that doesn't do any good. If you're going to be in the office, we're going to interact with each other. We're going, to, we're going to use that time to try to get back to what we knew before. I think that's worked out really, really well for us. And I think that might actually move to a written rule rather than an unwritten rule. Going into next year. So no,
1: coming in and closing the door and, and you see that happen. You saw it happen before COVID, but you know, leaders just coming in, slamming their door and you know, getting on a call. Now I myself had to do that. And what I did was lobby for less flipping calls. Having calls about calls about calls. And so, you know, how can we how can we drive <laughs> how can we not drive people crazy with Zoom calls?
2: I love getting rid of meetings for people's day. Yes. Right? Yes, I
1: was a big fan of only when we must, you know, when it makes sense. You know, that's the That's where you create true connection.
0: We got very deliberate about how we scheduled meetings and why we scheduled meetings. And I think that was a big piece for us.
1: Such a good word, deliberate. And you know what? All of these keywords, and I'm just going to say this, belonging, connectedness, deliberate effort, these are all... Where an inclusive, diverse work environment are born, Mm -hmm. empathy. You know, we've been talking a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and and these core values are where it begins. I believe. I was going to ask
2: about communication, like how much communication, how much I think I think you're kind of like saying it indirectly, but how much Mm -hmm. of it was communication during you know twenty twenty, and even before? It sounds like the culture had to be very communicative because you have a sticky culture.
0: Oh, it absolutely was. But I think we just, we got a lot better with it. And, and here's the thing. So Steve and I are just two sales guys, right? I mean, that's honestly, deep down, that's just who we are. And we had to learn a lot. We assumed that if we said something that was going to get done, that sort of thing, that isn't necessarily the case. Everybody works differently. Everybody learns differently. So really digging in and understanding each of our employees that much more became part of our learning experience. Through the pandemic and through that remote working model, and then into reopening the office and understanding that maybe people don't want to come back five days a week, and that's okay. Like Steve is a very butts and seat kind of guy, right? If I don't see you there eight to five Monday to Friday, I don't know what you're doing. But the numbers have proven that what you're doing is absolutely working. So each one of us has changed in different ways through all of this and learned a lot. So
2: I've been like, you know, I'm constantly learning. Lauren and I are constantly learning. I think. One of my things is feedback right now and the, and like how to be a good leader, how to be a successful professional. And, and every time I, I get around it, it's like communication and feedback. And so how did that play into early days? And then you guys, especially during, I'm sure there was blunders moving to fully remote. There had to be, like you said, so.
0: Oh, sure. We had always kind of worked that way. anyway. Starting a new travel nurse staffing company in Omaha, Nebraska. 10 years ago right at that kind of just a really good time to start was difficult because it was hard to attract talent you're not pulling talent away from other agencies, other agencies are hiring like crazy so why would they come to us little tiny startup versus you know some one of the very large companies that you know existed in Omaha. So we started with a remote model at that point and just kind of worked our way through that. So we we learned a lot through that. We learned a lot from the technology piece. We learned a lot from a communication piece. We learned a lot when it comes to you know trying to bring people together once or twice or three times a year and the logistics behind that. But more importantly, it's just being available and, and not, like you had said, even before this, leaders would come in and just close their door, right? I experienced that exact same thing multiple times throughout different jobs in my career. And I thought, I'm never going to be that guy. So my very first seat at Atlas was on the floor right by the door. And we didn't have a receptionist desk, but I sat right in the corner. And so I called. we called the receptionist or whatever. And my best friend was the mailman and the UPS guy. And I'm not making that up. I still talk to the mailman. We're friends on Facebook, even though he's retired now. And I would still go, if he called me today, I'd, I'd go have a beer with him because we really, really got along. So when you walk into the doors at Atlas now, I'm still the receptionist. I sit at a receptionist desk and it's right out on the floor. And just to my right is Steve. And just to the left of Steve is Steve Seitner and Keanu Williams, who runs our compliance is just to the left of him. Like we're all up front. We're leading by example. So, and that's good, bad, or otherwise, right? You're going to see when we screw up, you're going to see when, you know, we, we make poor decisions or bad decisions, or we don't take all the information and, you know, we make, you make that snap decision and it's not right. So leading by example like that and just showing vulnerability is super important for us and that's how we got and that's how we're getting to where we want to get
2: so the feedback loop was pretty quick because you because you were sitting in the floor oh, yeah them. right there that's what i kind of yeah. heard in between the lines is the feedback yeah. loop was very fast <laughs> Yep.
1: in all my years people respect the fact that you never asked them to do something you weren't willing to do because you were sitting right there doing it Correct. yourself up front yep. answering yep. the phones greeting people mm-hmm. and i think that That's a huge part of leadership. But the core word of that is that authenticity, because authenticity Mm -hmm. breeds connectedness and because people want to know that they are representing something more meaningful. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're talking to the millennials, I love the fact that Gen Z's, 75% of Gen Z's have come out and said, pay me more. Right. So Mm -hmm. they're being totally Gen Z, you know, our millennials are like, you know, I want an experience. I want to know that, you know, there's something meaningful behind my work, which is where this. and, And so now we as leaders have to acknowledge Each one of those driving forces, you know, or the drivers of our workforce. And again, I'm like, God bless the Gen Zs. They just say how it (laughs) is. And they're like, you need to pay me more. I mean, I'm all for meaningful work and stuff, but (laughs) you need to pay me more money. And I think that that is wonderful. And I think that they're both generations. I love them both because Mm -hmm. they are making us question everything we knew about the
2: way of work. I question what my parents eat for breakfast every day. I'm like, what are you eating? Why? Why do you think that's okay? <laughs> like, like eating Pop-Tarts every morning is not okay, guys.
0: Wait, that's wait a minute. That wait generation. a minute. It's wait. It's not. It's not. Okay. No, it's
2: fine. I'm just like, like they like they have like their fixed things. And if I, like like so, give an example. I was eating some leftover. I love eating leftovers for breakfast, and I eat a lot of protein in the morning. So sometimes I eat like a steak, or chicken so I'm eating like what I cook for dinner and they're like why are you eating that and I'm like because I need protein because I lift every day and they're like that's not breakfast and I'm like what is breakfast cereal like you know right like I'm questioning that all the right. time with them. I'm like
1: you, you millennials you're making <laughs> the this I want. question <laughs> do all do our I want. life decisions
2: well, guys, like listen boomers you left us a great place let's be okay. honest
1: whoa bro I, am not I know, you're not, I goodness, know you're, you're not a
2: boomer I know you're not a boomer
1: I am but
2: I'm not that old. <laughs> uh, Lauren is red in the face and pounding her fist. Luckily, she's not pounding okay. the desk because her microphone sits on her desk. So yes. hands up. No,
1: But I look rich organically, I think because of your origin story. Right. You know, I mean, You started with this beautiful little spark of empathy and something that inspired you. And I think a lot of companies could take a page from your book because I've said the way to build a tech stack is to understand your culture because the technology that you buy is going to represent that or should represent that in a meaningful way. So if you don't know who you are, you certainly aren't going to know what to buy or how to enable your your work. course.
2: If you're super stale, buy stale tech.
1: (laughs) Or you're just going to be buying for the sake of buying and not know how to implement it in a way Mm -hmm. that represents your culture, you know? And so I think you figured out really early on who you wanted to be as an Mm -hmm. employer and you just bleed it. And I think that's why people are attracted to you.
0: If you don't understand why your employees do what they do, if you don't understand why they're with you, you've already lost. It's going to be very difficult to go back now and find that post-pandemic reason why. You had to have been working on that before all of this started. Now, you got to keep working on it, though. And that's the thing. like, I can't wait, even though I'm off this week for Thanksgiving and I'm going to spend time with my family and my friends. And I can't wait to get back on Monday. Steve and I still race to the office in the morning, even though he has to take his kids to school and, you know, or whatever. And if he beats me to the office in the morning, I get angry. I want to get there first. It's having that fire and keeping that fire still alive is super important.
1: I totally agree with you. And I think that that energy is contagious. I think it's Gary V has said, you know, that CEOs who have, you know, sort of condemned employees who aren't as passionate about the employee. And his viewpoint is, that's okay. It's okay. It's all right, right? It's, it's not funny. their baby. It's not their baby. They're not the ones that are so excited to get up in the morning and go to work. But what do we do to at least get them to feel a little bit of that, right?
0: Yeah. Oh, I watch that guy every day, and you can't see my phone. Like it's I have one of his screensavers oh, yeah. on my phone. Okay. It's just great. Right, I mean, he has a Gary Vee screensaver
2: on there.
1: Yeah, I'm a big fan
0: you're right it, it, the average employee will never care as much as I do or as much as Steve does right they do it's just how does that translate to them how do you how do you show them and give them what they need in order to care that much
1: yes yes and you are figuring it out and and I'm excited for you I'm excited for so. your growth I mean that's that's pretty awesome it's,
0: it's a work in progress every day I hope so
2: well they've been one of the fastest growing staffing companies in America for the last couple of years so they're True. doing something yeah. right Besides for travel nursing being very uh, you know very popular at the moment. Yes, <laughs> or, yes. or necessary, maybe not even popular, just very necessary.
1: You can't take advantage of an opportunity like that
2: unless you're if ready If you don't it.
1: have your core figured out, if you aren't creating belonging connectedness in a deliberate way, which are all the three keywords that you leveraged, it's gonna be very difficult for you to take advantage of this massive growth
2: opportunity. Absolutely. So I think the re- re- quick recap is empathy, understanding who you want to be and who you want your organization to be from a culture perspective, probably before you buy technology
0: Absolutely or able or net workflows
2: technology. for set technology, or even the workflows that you need. And I think, you know, just, just making sure that you live it every day. I think you have to, you have to live, you gotta live what's on the tin. Right. So I like it. All right, Rich, I didn't prep you for this, but we've been doing it. So one one book you recommend, and doesn't have to be business, but it can be, and one person to follow on social. You can say Gary V if that's going to be your person.
0: Uh, you know, it, it, it can be. I also like Simon Sinek a lot. I think okay. that guy, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you two books. One, Start With Why by Simon Sinek. I think that was, I read that book probably, oh gosh, eight years ago, and it just reinforced everything that I was doing. And then Jim Cook wrote a book about the origin story of Boston Beer Company. I've read that book at least two or three times. It's just him working from scratch, from nothing, trying to build a beer empire in the early 80s when there was no such thing as craft beer. And he had yeah, that Yeah, you vision. had two
2: beers. You had like three or four beers, had, right? So Oh, yeah.
0: M- yeah, Miller Lite was outselling everything. Miller, that Coors, part.
2: Bud, and Polly Molson.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much it and he had this vision to create like a craft beer empire and how he got to that you know putting beers in his briefcase and walking down the street and selling them to bars right around the brewery and how that became huge that he's a huge inspiration for me like if there's one guy i could meet it's that guy
2: all right well jim cook on, if you're, you're out there rich okay. wants to buy you an omaha steak
0: there you go we got it. some good craft we got good craft beer in omaha guess have a good on, everything we'll
2: a What are we talking about omaha is a great place <laughs> to live there's so much quality <laughs> in omaha anyway well, well thank
1: you for yeah, sharing you so your much. morsels of wisdom i think that every leader out here needs a refresher course on you know the start with why uh, you know and how we we lead through this disruption in a meaningful way so thank you for sharing your wisdom it's awesome
0: thank you for having me i really enjoyed it thank you guys
2: thank you guys for tuning in to the you on the experience podcast this is rob
1: and i'm lauren Now go do something good.
0: Bye, guys.